Do please be seated. Well, the people reading Isaiah or Isaiah down through the generations had, as it says in verse 2, lived in darkness. And at Christmas, I think we tend to skip over these initial verses here and rush to the light. We like to rush to the good news, the, the evangel, the tidings of goodness and joy that we've been examining this Advent. All those things in verse 6 that we hear so often. But we would never need tidings of comfort and joy if we were comfortable or joyous to start with, would we? They come to a people who need good news. Look how bad their situation is uh, and how great their need for comfort and joy must have been felt. Just look at how intense the language of Isaiah 9 is. It talks about in verse 4, the, the yoke of burden. This is slavery language, like beasts that are at work and hard-pressed. It also says in verse 4 that they are suffering underneath the rod of the oppressor. They are enslaved. There's a, an image, I think, of forced labor. Verse 5 talks about the boots of warriors and battle and tumult and blood. This is a people who are under siege. And as they read this book and start to reflect on their situation and why it is happening, they start to see that the root cause of their problem, the problem underlying all of their problems, is in fact themselves. It's a problem of sin that they have got. And at many points in Jewish history, this letter would be dug out and read and reread as they looked for hope in these dark times. And often their hope was boiled down to one thing, and that was the promise that one day God would intervene. God would step into the darkness and bring about light. How? How will he do it? Isaiah says their troubles shall not be fixed by a greater form of oppression, by a stronger king on their side, someone with a stronger rod or bigger boots to come and oppress the oppressor for a change. But he says, in fact, that their salvation shall come, rather, verse 6, by a child. The new ruler, the hope for peace, the embodiment of comfort and joy, the light in the darkness shall arrive, he says, not by chariot, like a warrior, but by birth. So verse 6 says, to us a child is born. Their savior is going to be the epitome of vulnerability, a baby. And look who the baby is. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Uniquely Wise. It means that the baby will reveal God's salvation plan. That's what it means. It's an Old Testament title used a few times, one that encapsulates, I think, both the full wisdom of God and God's intention to reveal that wisdom. The baby is the plan. The baby doesn't just manifest the plan or tell the plan or explain the plan. He is the plan. He is the wonderful counselor himself. That's the message. And indeed, not just the plan he is mighty God himself, verse 6 tells us. 
The baby is God. The, the term mighty God is used numerous times in the Old Testament without any shadow of a doubt for God himself. The baby is God. And in case you don't buy the idea that the baby is God, it also says that the son is the father. It couldn't be any clearer about what they should be expecting. Many kings like to be called father. Some scholars will say, yeah, 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 but kings were always called father. But they weren't called everlasting father. Everlasting Father is a unique title for God alone, and the baby bears the title. Absolutely, no question, Jesus is God. And instead of just appearing in some ball of light and power to come and beat up the bad guys, as expected, instead he appears in a ball of flesh, completely weak, uh, like us, a human baby. Uh, And like all humans, though he is fully God, he's also fully human. And like all humans, he has a history. He has a family name, a family tree, a DNA, a heritage, a timeline. And he comes, verse 7 tells us, to the throne of David. He is descended from King David, as promised. He is a descendant, an inheritor of a throne of his grandfather. It's a clue as to where they should expect this baby to be born and from whom they should expect this baby to be descended. Descended from David, born in the city of David. It's all right here in Isaiah, written hundreds of years before any of it happened. Now fast forward to Luke chapter 2, to that very place. And verse 8 tells us, in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. These are ordinary people in an ordinary time doing their ordinary job, albeit at an extraordinary moment in salvation history. And verse 9 says, The angel of the Lord, or an angel of the Lord, actually appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Suddenly they're bathed in light. There's that power and that light that they were expecting. They're just immersed in light. And he said, fear not, verse 10, because it would be terrifying. Behold, I bring you good news. There's that good news that we've been looking at for four weeks, the gospel, the evangel, the tiding of comfort and joy, the salvation, it is here, explained in verse 11. Here's the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, as promised, a Savior, as promised, who is Christ the Lord, as promised. A human baby in the city of kings who is the Lord God here to save them. That's just the news. That's not the good bit. That's just the news. Because they did nothing to deserve this. They weren't out there in the fields earning their salvation and getting it right That's the good bit. They did nothing to deserve this. He appeared to them in the dark. They're spiritually in the dark, oppressed, literally in the dark, in a field, in every way. They are nobody's nowhere, and the light comes to them and finds them. And that's not all. Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Big difference between giving and birth, though you can give birth. There's a big difference between the two. This word uh, given 
It is loaded with meaning. When the Old Testament does this, when the Bible does this anywhere, we always take note when you get two words that look like they're saying the same thing, but they're slightly different. We take note. It's not a mistake. It's designed to amplify and elucidate a point. The son is, the child is born, the son is given. Being given. Technical word. It can mean to pay hand over money. It can mean to exchange. It can mean to ransom. It is the language that is used often of a slave and the transaction that frees the slave. It can also mean given, this word, in one of its sub-definitions. It can mean deliver up or yield over or hand over or betray or stretch out. These are all words that are clearly designed to foretell and remind us of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy about the crucifixion. The word given is all about paying for sin, releasing from slavery, taking punishment, and dying. All of that in one little word, a one-word sermon. And suddenly, with this one word given, it starts to become clear why God would need to descend in such a vulnerable form so that he could die. He was born so that he could die. The purchase price for your comfort and your joy is him, his life. His discomfort and his sorrow is the transaction for your comfort and your joy. Not just the birth that saves us. Really, it's the gift that saves us. It is the son's life given and sacrificed in exchange for ours that saves us. You can't do Christmas without doing Easter. They go together. The incarnation is merely part one of a greater story. These shepherds, kind of at the end of part one, nonetheless, are faced with a very simple question. It's the same question that faces every one of us this evening, and that is, How do we respond? How do we respond to all of this? What are we going to do with the good news of God's gift of grace? What will we do with what we now know? Verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It's a jolly good idea to respond. Imagine if they had not. Imagine if instead they'd looked around and they said, well, you know what, I think we'll just stay here in the dark with the the sheep. We don't want the good news. We're busy. You know, what's going to happen to the sheep? What's what's the boss going to say? Imagine if they'd done any of that, if they'd chosen, despite the manifest revelation of God's plan, God himself in their midst, in fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies written hundreds of years before, Imagine if they had said, no, not for me. Thank you very much. God is revealed to every single one of us. Every single one of us has the choice that the shepherds also had to make. Do we leave our old ways and our old things and our old life and turn entirely from that to something new? Or do we stay where we are in the dark? In the context of our series, this Advent and Christmas, the question is simple. Do we repent? Do we turn 
away from sin and toward Jesus Christ. The good news is that he will be ready when you do. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glory of the incarnation. Something as vulnerable and tender as a baby, something as powerful as the end of sin and death. We are struck afresh by your salvation plan, the wisdom of it, the joy of it, the comfort of it. Heavenly Father, in the quiet of this evening's service, in our singing and receiving of bread and wine, would we repent and find in you alone comfort and joy. Amen.